spend just a moment just praying for our government. We've had a change of government overnight, and uh, some of you are going to be really happy about that. Some of you are going to be really sad about that. Some of you are actually going to be really mad about that. But I just want to tell you, we are of a higher kingdom. We are of the kingdom of God. And the Bible says for us to pray for those in authority over us, whether we like those over authority over us or whether we don't like the authority over us. I remember once voting when I was a younger man, voting a certain way and being really happy with how I voted and thinking I voted very well. And then going to church the next morning and the person leading worship was just like, oh, it's terrible what's happened overnight. And, and the, see, the, the, the team, see that? It is a bit of a game, right? The, the party that I had actually voted for had won, so I was really happy. And the, he was really unhappy because the, the party that he had voted for didn't win. And, and he was like, you know, we're going to pray because God is greater than the devil. And, and I'm thinking, did I vote for the devil, right? Like, what's going on? I want to have a pure heart, right? And, uh, and so I was really like... Uh, conflicting to me, but as I've realized over the years, you know, a party's going to be in for a certain time and another party's going to be in for a certain time, but God rules over the parties. You know, the Bible says, let us be subject to our rulers. Let us obey those that, that God has instituted over us, our authorities over us. And he wrote that when Nero was the emperor. And Nero was burning Christians, turning them into tar. That's where we get the word Roman candles from, that he would put people in tar and then he would just put them on a stake and then he would burn them alive, right? So I'm fairly confident that isn't going to happen to any Christians in Australia in the next little while, right? So uh, whatever happens, we are got to pray for our leaders. Let me read you a scripture. I urge you, 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them to intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way. So how are we to pray? We're to pray to God, ask them to help them. We're to intercede on their behalf and we're to give thanks for them. I'll just stop there. All right. Then it goes this. Pray this way for kings who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good. And who does it please? It pleases God, our Saviour. So I want you to stand and we are going to pray for our government. We're going to pray for Anthony Albanese, our new uh, Prime Minister. We're going to pray for that government and we're going to pray this way. We're going to ask God to help him. We're going to intercede on their behalf and we're going to give thanks to them. So Father, we just thank you, O Lord. Father, for our government, O oh Lord, whether we agree with them or not, Father, we thank you that you are in control and that you are going to have your way regardless of who is in power over us, O oh God. Father, we pray on their behalf and we pray, help them, O oh God. Help them, O oh God. Father, we want a strong and prosperous Australia. And so, Lord, we pray that they would make good and wise and right decisions, O oh Lord, that are going to be a benefit to our country, Lord. Father, we pray, oh God, that we would be able to continue to live in a country where we can speak the gospel freely, oh Lord. Father, where your word can go out, oh Lord, where we have freedom, oh God. And Father, we ask in Jesus' name, have your way and we ask your blessing upon them in Jesus' name, amen. You can take your seats. I also do want to tell us, tell you that we in the last week, have had a baby boom. 
five mums have given birth this week. That's unbelievable. So if you think about it, in the last three weeks, we've had like uh, six mums. So we had Julie and Neil with Liberty. We, we met uh, Liberty last week. Kira and Rob, they had Kayla last Sunday morning, right? Then we had Lauren and Dan, and they had a mayor this week. Then we had Tiffany and Raymond, they had Zion this week. We had Talithia and Mike, they had Arabella this week. And just yesterday, Sarah and Dan came and had Jason. So how good is that? That's awesome, I love that. I was telling Jason, they must honestly like him. Right, because you don't name anyone right over someone you don't like. But then I realised no one names their child Mark. <laughs> so maybe I need to change and become more friendly or something, right? Because no one's naming their child Mark anymore, right? So uh, I need to change that. All right. So I actually found out that this has got nothing to do with my sermon, but it's it's, it's interesting because it's very. I thank God for His providence. I, my mum was going to name me. A very Dutch name, which is rude. R-U-U-D. Right? So I was going to be rude. Right? And I don't want to be rude. I'm a pastor. I'm not meant to be rude. Right? But then, thank God for my uncle. He named his son Rude. Right? And uh, so I couldn't be named Rude. So I got Mark. How good is that? I'm really happy about that. Your pastor's rude. I'm sorry. No, that's so... So uh, isn't that hilarious, right? So I could have been rude, right? But I will not be rude, right? So uh, there you go. In, in Holland, it's actually quite a common name, but in Australia, it's less than common, and I probably would have gone with my middle name, which is Anthony, but not my third name, which is Mary. <laughs> it's true. My third name is Mary. My real name is Mark Anthony Mary Elmendorf. <sighs> All right, look at my title slide. Why? why? Right? So, <laughs> why? That's my, that's my question today. I want to try and answer the question why. For what reasons do things happen? Has everything got a reason? Is there a reason behind everything that happens? Is God behind everything that happens? An earthquake, a car accident, getting sick, getting a job, having a baby, or a million other things. Why? What is the reason? Is there a reason? We're going to try and answer that pretty philosophical question today. And the answer isn't actually that simple. If you look at Scripture, it actually gives what is seemingly conflicting messages. I can go to Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11. I can say, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favour to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. So I could sit there and go, well, it's time and chance. And there's truth in that. Be grateful to God that you're born in this time of your life and not maybe in the 1600s or the 1800s where life was very, very difficult in comparison to how we are now. But then in Jesus, talking on the Sermon on the Mount when addressing worry and addressing stress and, and those things shows us how detailed he is 
in looking after us. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So one scripture is telling me time and chance just happens to all. And the other one tells me that God understands the details so intimately that he knows how to get every single bird its food and he knows how to keep the universe in order. So in the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 is talking about the things that he's had to endure in preaching the gospel, what he's had to suffer, what he's had to go through, what he's had to go through for gospel's sake. He calls it foolish boasting, but he does it nonetheless. And so one of those verses says this, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That means he had thrown stone thrown at him. He didn't do drugs, right? Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. So he's having some bad times, right? There's a whole lot of other things that he says. But three times he's beaten with rods. Once he was stones, three times I was shipwrecked. And I started to think to myself, why is he being shipwrecked three times? This message comes out of that question. Why was Paul shipwrecked three times? Now we know about one of those times in Acts 27, even though there's a lot of people who believe that he was actually shipwrecked four times because Acts 27 is later in his life probably after he's written the second letter to the Corinthians. So he could have been shipwrecked four times. So surely he could have learned the first time what he needed to learn. Maybe if it's the things we go through are because God wants to teach us things. Surely he's learned. Maybe he's a slow learner, so God says, okay, go through it a second time. He would have learned it the second time. So he got shipwrecked a third time and then maybe even a fourth time. So how, why did he do that? And so I want to use the story of the shipwreck that we do know from Acts 27. And I want to have a quick look at that and answer the question, why? Why did he go through that? Now, I'm not going to read the whole story because it's a chapter and a half long, but I'm going to tell you the basic story. So Paul, after being arrested, is on his way to Rome. He tells his uh, Roman centurion, his prison guard, that they shouldn't put out to sea right now. Then if they do put out to sea, there's going to be a storm. There's going to be injury. They're going to lose things. It's not going to be good. Let us not do that. But the centurion doesn't listen and they set sail anyway. They're out there and just as Paul said, a major storm develops. And it's bad. They're, they're two weeks. They're tossed to and fro and they're, they're, they're in trouble. It's a bad, bad storm. Paul actually says he loses all hope. After two weeks, they realise that land is close, but they're actually scared of running aground before they get to land. And, uh, and, and Paul kind of like, you know, he kind of gathers them and, and speaks to them and says it's going to be all right. And then he has communion with them. It says he breaks bread with them 
right? And they have communion and, and they all feel very encouraged. So here we see Paul having communion with non-Christians because I've always believed that those type of things are places where God reveals himself. He revealed, Jesus revealed himself when he had communion with the, the two boys on the road to Emmaus. And the Bible says their eyes were opened as they took communion. And I believe many times people are able to actually see and have Jesus revealed as we have communion. Communion's good. So Paul has communion with them and, and, and they've all felt encouraged. The Bible tells us that there were 276 people on that boat. So it's a large boat. They attempt to to ground the ship on the beach. But on the way, they hit a reef and they get caught on that reef and the boat starts to break up. The soldiers then plan on killing the prisoners so that they can't escape, right? But the centurion, wanting to save Paul's, orders them not to. They land in Malta and they're welcomed by the local people who build a fire and being the good guy he is, and I actually think that this tells us a lot about Paul, is that like he actually goes out and helps collects the sticks. He's not sitting there saying, just serve me. No, he's getting out there and doing what needs to be done. So he's out there collecting the sticks for the fire and then a snake comes along, bites him. He throws it off into the fire. The people are like, he must have been a bad man because, you know, like he's just been bitten by a snake. He got saved by the sea, but now he's going to be bitten on land. But... Uh, but what happens is that uh, he, he doesn't. He, he doesn't die. And in fact, then the people go, hey, you know, like he must be a God. Now, this is just a little aside, right? Uh, uh, critics of the Bible use this as an accusation that the Bible isn't real and isn't authentic because they say there are no snakes on Malta today. Like if you go to Malta, there's no snakes but, you know, it's just a very silly argument, to be honest, right? There are plenty of places that used to have animals. There, there used to be places in where lions were, but they're not any longer, right? And that was 2,000 years ago. When I was 10 years old, I used to go to school that was in the city of Adelaide. And to go to the Oval where we played all our sports, we'd have to go through the parklands. And there was a creek in the parklands, and we used to catch yabbies big enough to eat and enough of them to eat that I bring home and we catch yabbies in the middle of Adelaide City. I want to tell you that was many years ago, right? Uh, and there are no yabbies in the centre of Adelaide now. It doesn't mean that if I told you the story about catching yabbies that it wasn't true, right? And I think people are always looking for a way to bring down the Bible. But if you actually take some time, you'll see that it's an amazing book written by God himself for all of us to live by and for all of us to base our life on. But back to our story. The local people, they realise, they think it's karma, but he doesn't die. They think he's a god. And then he heals the father of the island sheep and many people get healed. He stays there for three months. A ship comes and they head off for Rome. So there it is, Acts 27 and half of Acts 28. What a great story. And in it, there's a lot of times we can say, well, why? Why? Why was Paul in, re, in prison in the first place? Well, there's a reason for that. He had preached the gospel. He'd been in Ephesus. He'd been preaching the gospel. There was a girl who was following him, said these are definitely sons of the Most High God. And, 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 they were just, he, was, and he cast a demon out of her. And she was a fortune teller. Right? She was a fortune teller. 
And this fortune teller would tell people's fortune after the demon was cast out of her, could no longer tell the fortune. So the people who owned her, right, they caused a big problem because they weren't having their money-making thing any longer and they got Paul put in prison. So he's in prison because he's preached the gospel. So what he does is he sits there and he says, well, I'm a Roman citizen. You just can't try me and kill me here. I have a right to go before Caesar. I have a right to appeal to that. And he does that. So that's why he's going to prison. He's going to appeal his case before Caesar. So the why question here is answered. Paul is in prison because of something that he did. He preached the gospel and it got him arrested. And sometimes we are in situations, both good and bad, completely because of our own decision. Not because of others, not because of God, not because of the devil, but they are, they're, they're, there may be God factors that made us make that decision, as in Paul's case here, but he made the decision, I'm going to preach the gospel regardless of the trouble that it's going to get me into. I am going to preach the gospel. So it's not God's fault. It's not anyone's fault. It's Paul's fault. So some of the things that you go through are there just as a result of the decisions you made, both good and bad. So then he's in the middle of the storm. Let's ask the question, what's the reason he's on the boat in the middle of the storm at the wrong time of year? Why is he in this storm? Now, that's not God's fault. It's not Paul's fault. It's not the devil's fault. It was a stubborn man's fault. He's in that storm because of someone else. You know, God had shown Paul that the trip was going to end in disaster. Paul had done what was right. He informed the centurion, the one who had the power to make the decision whether they were going to stay in that place for a while and wait for the time on the storm season to pass or whether they would go on the boat. He chooses to go on the boat regardless of what Paul has told him. Paul is a prisoner, so he has no control over that. Someone else is making the decision for him. He informs the decision, but the centurion. But because the centurion is either stubborn or he's either insecure and doesn't want to be told what to do by a prisoner, or maybe he's just ignorant of the power of God and what God could do or, or who Paul was, so he decides to listen to the pilot of the ship rather than, than, than what Paul has said. So he decides to go uh, on the trip anyways. Paul went through the storm, not because of God, not because of his own actions, but because another person, someone he had no control over, made a decision. Many things happen in our lives because someone that we have no control over makes a decision. It's not God, it's not you, it's not the devil. Someone makes a call. Might be your boss. He just makes the call. Might not be God's will for your life. And maybe, but God isn't going to intervene. Because whether what happens is good or bad, God stands over the circumstance of what happens. If someone robs your house, it's not God, it's not the devil. It's a sinful man. Someone who decided that their actions can override your rights. And I want to say this. If we start overthinking this stuff 
If we start complicating things like this, we actually get into trouble. We actually start to doubt the love of God, the power of God, the provision of God, the goodness of God. And when you start to, to wonder, why, why, why? And we start to wonder about it. We start to feel it's unfair. And what was just a nasty incident that you had no control over and caused maybe by a foolish person now becomes something that the enemy uses to rattle your faith, right? So we've got to be careful how we ask. There are some things that we need to accept and know that even if it's bad, even if we've done what we could not to go through that storm, that God is going to get us through. Yeah. Right? So, so Paul then gets on the boat and he actually starts to get worried. He's on the boat. He's in the middle of the storm. He's wondering if he's going to die. Maybe the will of a stubborn man of an insecure man, of an ignorant man. Maybe that has overridden the will of God and now Paul is going to die. That's when he starts thinking. Paul uses these words. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope, everyone say all hope. All hope, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. That's where Paul the apostle gets to. All hope is gone. The, the last thing, I've just been abandoned. We are abandoned. That is, it's, that's where he's at. He's at the point of no hope. And it's not even his fault. It's not God's fault. It's not the devil's fault. But it's some stubborn, insecure boss man's fault. And I want to tell you right now, and this is the only thing you hear in this sermon, and it's for you, then listen to this right now. I need to set something straight in many people's minds. A third person cannot interfere in the destiny that God has for you. Only you or God can change the plan of God for your life. So if you start to blame someone else, something else for where you're at and what God can't do, you've got it wrong. You've seen less of what God can do and more of what God, man can do, where you need to see less of what man can do and more of what God can do. A third person or thing doesn't change your destiny. Only you and God have that power. You know, I remember many moons ago when I was engaged to a girl. And believe it or not, she broke it off. It's unbelievable. You know, I was devastated. I, I was literally devastated. I didn't see it coming. We've been going out for a long time. We were kind of like the it couple of the youth group. It was, it was just wonderful. We were going to be married. It was going to be fantastic. It was going to be excellent. And then uh, they say absence makes the heart wander or, fond, uh, or, or fonder. Well, I went away for a month working and it went uh, wander, right? And uh, so she just said, no, nah, I don't want to do this. And at the time, I remember thinking, like, it's just fear. 
her fear, she can't decide whether what dress to wear, whether it's blue or white, you know, and, and she can't decide and, and I made it about her and how evil she was, right, and, and not about me and, and what God was doing. And I really believed, I really believed that my destiny had been changed. I really believed that I wouldn't be able to do what I do that. And, this, and, I, and I rationalize it like this. I go, you know, because God is good, I'll get a good wife. Right? But it won't be the one that he had for me. Right? It'll be a good one. It'll be good. It won't be a bad wife. It'll be a decent wife. But it won't be the wife that, that I could have had. It'll be like, you know, plan B. Right? Plan A was where God really want to go. But because of her fear, I'll give you plan B. Still good. She'll be a good wife. You know what? I've been married to Nina for 26 years. She is plan A. She is plan A. Right? Someone else's, someone else's decision can't affect my destiny. She can't affect my destiny. Only God deals in our destiny. We can make bad decisions. We can do wrong things. I really believe that my destiny was going to be changed by a third person, but it can't happen. Think about Nehemiah, who so believes the plan of God for his life to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that he's willing to go before an ungodly king who cares less about God, who cares less about God's ways, who's not interested, trust me, in some far old place called Jerusalem that's only going to give him trouble. But he so believes that God is in control, that God is in charge, that he goes before him and says, King, I need your help. Send me there. We need to rebuild these walls. And the king does it. I want to break off your life right now. The fact that someone else has stopped what God wanted to do in your life. It's a lie from the enemy and is keeping you living less than what God has for you. God is able to use you wherever you are right now, just in the way that He wants to use you. We've got to start getting back to believing that God can make the best out of whatever storm that you're in. In Paul's case, he's visited by an angel, and that would be good. He's visited by an angel. See, your destiny is in the hand of God, no matter how bad the storm is and how hopeless the situation seems to be. The truly hopeless person is the, is the person who's actually thrown away their hope. And we can't do it. We're going to finish with that today. Acts 27, verse 24. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. See, Paul's destiny was to stand before Caesar. That was the plan of God for his life. A shipwreck wasn't going to stop that happening. A man making a decision wasn't going to have stop that from happening. Right? It, is, it wasn't going to stop that from happening. God had a destiny, and God's destiny was going to come to pass. So back to our story. They then run aground and the soldiers, because it's the year 50 and not the year 2022, decide that they're going to kill the prisoners. It was tough living back then, right? Like the, the, Our way of dealing with this, let's just kill all the prisoners. No, we can't be doing that, right? The stubborn, insecure, ignorant centurion, who was the reason that Paul's in this storm and in this shipwreck anyway, now becomes Paul's saviour. He literally saves Paul's lives. And this is what the Bible tells us, that our authorities 
are there for our good. The same authority that got Paul in the mess now gets him out of the mess. And that's why we have to be very careful of how we deal with our authorities to treat them well because God places them in your life because he's wanting to teach you things in your life. Imagine the testimony that Paul now has. I was in a place where I was completely hopeless. All hope had gone, but God came through. What a testimony he had. What something he now had, no matter whatever he went through in the future, he knew now that God was going to be with him. You know, as I said before, I know that some of you wouldn't be happy with the election result, but pray for your leaders, for your authorities anyway. Maybe if we prayed more for the authorities in our lives rather than bring them down, complain or work against them, we wouldn't need to be asking why so often. Understanding that God is actually in control, that God is actually in charge, even when the storms are going on, will ultimately trump knowing why the storm is going on. Paul then gets bitten by a snake. This causes all the people to talk about him. They start saying, oh, he's bad. See, his deeds have caught up against him. The sea didn't get him, but the snake got him. You can't escape your bad things. But then when he doesn't die, they think, no, he's a God. And trying to work out why from the opinions of people is always fraught with danger. People change. Their opinions change even more. I think, you know, I I think there is some value in speaking to people who love you, who are wise, who are godly, who are got some track record. I think that's just wise. I recently had a pastor, a friend of mine, he wanted to catch up with me and, and we were talking and, and then he just said, he goes, can I just see you privately? And he just came and said to me, Mark, I see you like this in my life. He goes, what are my blind spots? I thought, what a great question. Right, here's someone who's wanting to improve their ways and, and what they're doing. And, and he came to me because he saw me as someone who's been along track for a little while, someone who has his best interest at heart, someone who wants the best for him. And he's come and asked me those questions. And I was able to say, you know, to be honest, there wasn't many things I needed to say. I made something up just to make him feel better, right? No, but... Uh, But but the thing is, see, that's wise. That's not looking to the opinions of the crowd of what everyone says. That's going to people who have a proven track record who love us and who are godly and wise. But just, this is what people say. This is what people say. This is what people say. It's just going to make you go crazy. It's going to make you go crazy. Don't let that. See, you've got to have to have enough intestinal fortitude yourself to believe what God thinks about you. And God loves you. God loves you. And eventually, when you have that sense that God loves you, that then becomes the people's narrative, right? People will love you because they see the wisdom of God. They've seen that what you, your life works. They've seen and you become attracted to them. So this morning... I haven't really answered the question of why, and I want the band to come. 
And the reason is this. Sometimes there is no why. Sometimes there is no reason. There is not a reason behind everything. Sometimes it's man. Sometimes it's God. Sometimes it's a devil. Sometimes it's time and chance. Sometimes it's you. Knowing why is actually overrated because knowing why doesn't change anything. You still have to deal with whatever storm you're going through, even if you know why. Sometimes talking to someone may help you going through that storm again, but it doesn't actually help you because you've got to go through it. And knowing why doesn't actually help that. Knowing why makes you scapegoat things, makes you blame someone or something. You blame someone. And once you blame someone or something, once you label something, you basically say, that's how it is and it isn't going to change. And it's very, very careful. And then you don't know anything about it. It's their fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's my fault. It's, and so therefore you think, I can't do anything about it. I'm just stuck. I'm just stuck. And it's a bad place to be. You know, and then you just sit in your misery. I sit in my misery because it's not, it's not my fault. It's not, it was him. It was her. It was God. It was a boss. It was a church. It was a government. And knowing why, all it does is sometimes makes you a victim. Yet we're actually called to be victorious. It's not knowing why that matters. It's knowing that God loves you regardless of whatever it is that you're going through. That's what actually matters. Romans 8, one of the great chapters of the Bible, actually gives us the answer. It says, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. In all these things, whatever storm it is, whether you caused it, whether it was the devil, whether it was God, whether it was time and chance, whether whatever how it be that you're in this storm, you're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I enjoyed our communion so much this morning. It was exactly what I'm trying to get across this morning. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever storm you're going through, it cannot separate you from the love of God. And so what happens, we sometimes by asking why, wanting to know why, coming to some conclusion of why, we separate ourselves from the love of God. We come to the conclusion, God has abandoned us. God has left us. This is too big for God. God isn't wanting. God doesn't like to. God is punishing me. God is, is loves Jason more than He loves me. You make up a reason and you separate yourself from the love of God. Yeah, the Bible says nothing can separate you. Draw near to Him and He draws near to to you. The answer in your storm, the answer when you're asking why isn't to kind of look everywhere. Where's the answer? The answer is to come to that secret place and to sit in the love 
of God. God, you love me. God, you love me. I don't understand this storm. I don't like this storm. And then what happens is that you sit in the love of God because the Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. What does a little kid do when they hurt themselves? What does a little kid do when they had a nightmare? And they've all had it. We all had it when we suddenly, you know, it's three in the morning and you sense this thing and there's your little girl or little boy standing right at your bed and they have a nightmare. And what happens is they say, come in. And you put them next to you and you hold them tight. And all of a sudden, it's going to be all right. The love of the Father can make a little girl or a little boy's heart seem, it's going to be all right. Knowing the love of God, that He's with you saying, it's going to be all right is going to help us. And that's what I want to take some time. See what happens is that Bible tells us that there's faith, hope and love. Love is the greatest of these things. And so what happens is that when I go through the storm, when I'm asking the question why, when I'm going through that thing that makes no sense, I don't understand, I don't like, it's not fair, all these different things. When I sit down and I sit down in the love of God, And I just remember He loves me. And I start to sing a song. I start to listen to some worship. I start to quiet my spirit. And all of a sudden, the presence of God comes. All of a sudden, I realise, hey, Mark, you don't have to face this alone. I'm with you. I'll walk with you. I'll strengthen you. I'll bring you comfort. We'll walk through this together. And all of a sudden, from my place of hopelessness, there comes a little glimmer of hope. Instead of being completely hopeless, because of the love of God, I I start to have some hope. Maybe things could get better. Maybe things could get better. Maybe there could be a turnaround. Maybe this could be used for, for something that's good. Maybe something could happen. And then from there, all of a sudden, faith comes in. I'm not just hoping things are going to get better. I know that things are going to get better. I know that things are going to get better. So I want to tell you, there are all going to be storms that we go through, things that we don't like, things that are unfair, things that were put on us, things where we made stupid decisions ourselves, things that God has allowed, things that the enemy just come against us. There's all sorts of things, time and chance. All of those things will happen. But there's one reaction every time. God loves me. God loves me. That happened, God loves me. This happened, God loves me. I'm going to go into that secret place. I'm going to settle my spirit. And one of the things I've learned in the, as, as I'm getting older, there is great power in, in being alone with God, just, just allowing the noise of the world. Just as there's great power just of finding an alone place. No noise, just, just with God. It's, it's great consolation. It's, it's, it's something that's helped me just in, in the last days because I just go, God, you, you've actually got it. You've actually got it. And so you need to take your place, take yourself away. And just sit. 